It's Today in Ohio for Friday, wrapping up a week of news. We will not be here on Monday. We have the Juneteenth holiday at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We will return on Tuesday. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Atassi on the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I, I got to say, I'm podcasting mm-hmm. while wearing my swimsuit. I've already been out paddleboarding this morning, so it's a good <laughs> Friday. Wait, and didn't you also go for a run? Because you sent us I a did. photo yes, from your run. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Wow. I had coffee outside, and <laughs> that's what start to my day. <laughs> All right. We got, uh, we got some interesting and unusual topics to talk about. Let's go to them. What are Ohio lawmakers doing in attempt to make their proposed ban on transgender girls playing girl sports more palatable? Lisa, do you think this one will make it more palatable? Only slightly, but this was easily the most detestable thing of this proposed legislation. So Senate President Matt Huffman told the City Club of Cleveland earlier this week that bills banning transgender girl athletes from competing will no longer call for genital examinations if their gender is disputed. Now we're talking about House Bill 151. That was amended to include this transgender ban back on June 1st. There's also Senate Bill 132, which is a similar bill, no hearing yet, but they expect to take it up in November or December. So this question was brought up during this uh, forum at the uh, City Club by Red Wine and Blue founder Katie Parrish. She asked Huffman, you know, what's going on with this bill? And Huffman replied that he says he's not sure why genital examinations were in the bill. It's unnecessary because they can get that information through a dna swab yeah i well and even with the dna swab i still think you might have a constitutional question that's an invasion of your privacy you know and it's it's not like you're suspected of a crime where where somebody has gotten a warrant to get your dna swab they're they're saying that you look different to us so we want to check your dna i would think that any way you slice that, you will have lawsuits because you can't just tell me, hey, I want your DNA. Well, and, and, it, and it injects this thing into girls' sports that, that, that the winner may always be questioned. You know, so if somebody, you know, wins a competition, they're going to say, well, you know, maybe, you know, you're not a biological woman, so we're going to check you out. So, yeah, it sets a very bad precedent. To to his credit, Governor Mike DeWine said back in 2021 that he's not into the state regulating transgender athletes at all. He says that the various athletic associations have vetted policies that monitor testosterone levels and other things. So, you know, he doesn't think the state should get into it, but whether he he'll veto it when it gets to his desk is another question yeah this is the same mike dewine that was pushing common sense gun bills and then has signed every not common sense bill that's come his way the the i do think because girls sports runs the gamut every you know, there's it's played everywhere they're they're very likely to run afoul of people of means to sue that that i i think the first girl that's challenged by this their parents are going to be furious you know you won Mm -hmm. we think you're actually you were born as a boy so we want proof that you're a girl it's so offensive and i just i think that the lawsuits will wrap this up and stop it and i can't imagine there wouldn't be an injunction against it 
Good luck to the legislators trying to thread that needle. Taking out the the exam is an obvious one, but saying that they get to take your DNA is just as invasive. We'll have to see. The Matt Huffman says he does expect the bill to come through the Senate. It's today in Ohio. Is Steve Dettelbach seriously looking like the guy who can break the logjam that has existed for years now in keeping the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms without a leader? Laura, a major step forward. Yeah, he's going to be the first ATF leader in seven years. It's been empty. And so the U.S. Senate on Thursday voted to move forward forward with his appointment that sets the stage for his confirmation and guess what rob portman voted for him so did susan collins of maine um that came after the senate judiciary committee deadlocked on whether to advance all of the 11 committees um all of the democrats on the committee backed edelbach all of the 11 republicans opposed but yeah he gets to move forward at this point yeah it's, it's a big deal look we we all know steve Dettelbach. he served nobly as the u.s attorney here had had some controversy but but nobody could question his public service uh attitude and so it's kind of nice and if he's the guy that breaks the logjam how cool it is, is that? and they've only had one confirmed director at the atf since 2006 that's when senate confirmation became required for the post because it became this lightning rod and a debate over gun control and gun owners rights and obviously that's what it is right now and Dettelback at his hearing basically said he's going to enforce the law he wasn't going to be an activist in it but you know senate democratic leader chuck schumer said confirming dettelback was among his top priorities because he needs to keep americans safe from gun violence i mean obviously guns are a huge issue right now so it makes sense to have someone in charge of this agency and i don't know the answer to this you might not either is this one of those positions that survive a change of presidential administration like the fbi director is a specified term and the new president can't get rid of him at least not easily is atf like that or does he go at the end of? i don't know the answer i can look that up okay it'd be i'd I'd be interesting to find out whether it's a a two and a half year gig unless biden gets reelected or democrats uh get get stay in the white house so we'll see it's today in ohio one of the most depressing parts of the cleveland metro park zoo has long been where the bears are they're tiny spaces little to keep them activated so layla what is the zoo now planning for a bear exhibit announced this week you're right chris As, as long as i can remember since i was a kid those bear habitats at the zoo have been these depressing concrete islands that are separated from tourists by those deep gulches and the bears just kind of pace under the hot sun for hours. And it seems that they're they're finally the next up for an upgrade among the zoo dwellers. So Cleveland Metro Park Zoo announced plans on Thursday for a new habitat called Bear Hollow. And this will be in the wilderness trek section of the zoo. The project will encompass four separate but interconnected habitat areas with climbing structures and elevated areas and and dig pits. That sounds like fun for bears. (laughs) The the new (laughs) exhibit um, will be home to Andean and sloth bears, and it'll be three times the size of the animal's existing 50-year-old habitats. 50-year-old habitats. I can't believe they've they've been uh, that long waiting for these new spaces. And um, this this additional space will will let the bears uh, perform their natural behaviors, uh, which include things like, you know, reproducing, 
thing. Or, and it'll give if people a chance to <laughs> to, uh, you know, view them in, in a better, better way. It sounds like they're going to have spaces where you can you can, you know, get a better, better, you know, perch and, and, and look down upon their their uh, their, you know activities <laughs> for everyone's uh you know backstage knowledge i i sent uh i forwarded you guys a a video of my the last time i went to the zoo with my kids and uh we happened upon some activities of the bears and my kids who are very innocent i took a video just because my kids who are very innocent had some hilarious commentary of of the the bear the bear's fornication and i had to take video of their of what they had to say about that so that is an example though of why bears need more privacy <laughs> yes you know i every time i anybody who loves animals goes to the zoo to see animals they can't see elsewhere but every time I've been to the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, when I get to that bear exhibit, I think I don't ever want to come here right. again because it's just so inhumane. Like you said, they just pace, they touch the wall repeatedly. It's it's like, you know, it's mental illness almost what they're doing to cope with being cooped up. So this is long, long overdue. I still, bears have big ranges and they're still being curbed but at least if there's something to activate their imaginations it won't be right so and these are both species that are considered vulnerable by the international union for conservation of nature so so this is this is a a good step forward and and they say that by the summer of 2023 guests are going to be able to to view these bears through through multiple observation areas of bear hollow they they mentioned a treehouse with a nearly 360 degree view of the new habitats and multi-story resting spaces for the bears when they're nesting so it sounds pretty cool it sounds like this is going to be i mean we're we're talking like 7.7 million dollars invested in this project um so looking forward to but it's the right thing right. to do. Take but there care are other the bears, bears that still so. are, don't you feel like there are other bears that I mean, the black bears and the grizzlies are aren't they still kind of on like heat island out there? I mean, not well. I the grizzly exhibit. I the last time I was there, I, I mean I, that has area to run around and okay. and play and you know I thought I thought they did okay by the grizzly bears. It's the ones in the back that was I just mm. thought was horrible. I wonder what they do with that space once the bears vacated but it's good news because again this for me was the most depressing part of that place it's today in ohio with inflation getting worse by the month what did reporter zachary smith find is happening for families on fixed incomes lisa the inflation just keeps getting worse we keep thinking well maybe next month it'll start to drop but no it keeps going up zachary had some some sober information yeah, and, and inflation, I mean, a lot of experts now are saying we're going to be dealing with this for at least the next year, year and a half. So we're going to have to batten down our hatches. It's not going to be easy for a lot of people in the Cleveland area. Um, Zachary talked to Bill Costius, who is a professor of economics at Cleveland State University. And uh, he said that this is a perfect storm. You've got increased demand, reduced output, smaller labor force, a pandemic, a war in Ukraine 
rain. This is all coming together for this perfect storm. And he notes that uh, wages are not increasing at the lower end of the wage scale to cover inflation. So Ohio's minimum wage right now is $9.30 an hour. That's up 5.6% from about a year ago, but all of those gains have been wiped out by inflation. Cleveland, a lot of people use their cars to get around the greater Cleveland area. Gas is up $2 a gallon since January. That's a 65% increase. So people who have to commute any kind of distance at all are really feeling it in their wallet. Food costs up 10.1% since May. That's the first increase over 10% since 1981. And shelter, of course, this is a big one. Food and shelter are the big things that are getting hit by inflation. The median in rent, the median rent in Greater Cleveland is up 19.4%. That is three times the minimum wage increase. Wow. I wonder this is why so many people are going to the casinos and they're getting record profits. They're hoping to hit the jackpot to pay for their pay for their food. You know, the frightening part about this is we have the big November election. And up till now, you you would think that people worrying about losing our democracy might play the bigger role in how people decide a whole lot of across the country. A whole lot of people are running to be in charge of the offices that count votes and they're all election deniers. It's a very dangerous situation. But with the economy getting worse and worse and worse, that might be what drives the the vote and the democracy be damned. But which way will it drive it, though? I mean, that that's what concerns me, because obviously, you know, the Republicans and the Trumpists are jumping on inflation as Biden's fault, which global inflation. I just saw a report where actually the United States is about the middle of the pack as far as global inflation rates go. But yet they're going to hammer that home through the November, you know, midterms. Right. So we could end up electing a whole bunch of despots and people bent on crushing our democracy because people are worried about their pocketbooks it won't help their pocketbooks to be run by autocrats but it's a it's frightening because i don't think any other message is being heard right now than the economy the economy the economy and there are many that believe we're about to drop quickly into a recession check out the story on cleveland.com it's today in ohio The wicked mix of suffocating heat and widespread power outages in parts of Ohio has renewed calls for Ohio to deal with climate change. Laura, what's the story? Yeah, it was not quite as bad in Cleveland as it was elsewhere across the state, though. Courtney Estolfi had a story about a thousand people were without power. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that next, Laura. Let's stick to the rest of the state. So the rest of the state, the conservationists are calling on Ohio General Assembly to develop climate change policy because a lot more hot days are coming. I mean, the the forecast is not good. It's actually very scary that there's a 2019 report. This is the number of days over 90 degrees in Ohio is going to likely triple from 10 to 20 days a year to 30 to 70 days by mid-century. So we need to deal with this now. And they're basically saying, hey, the the uh, power companies are re- raking in record profits while we're suffering. And this isn't just an inconvenience for people who have food going bad or they need um, electrical, they need electricity to run medical machines. Like this is dire. And we think you need to do something about it. Lisa, we were talking before the podcast, you had seen some statewide news reports about how 
bad the storms were in parts of the state that just took out the power possibly for weeks. In Columbus, we know AEP had to turn off the power intentionally because they were having some kind of weird issues there. Power's been out in much of the state. What did you see in the statewide reports? Yeah, I have a friend who lives in Amish country in Worcester, and uh, she sent me a couple of videos. Yeah, the local news hasn't really touched on how bad the damage is in Wayne County. I mean, there are roads that are impassable for miles because trees have been knocked down. It was a derecho, which is a straight line wind, and you can kind of see how it affects because all the trees fell in the same direction. She's without power. She doesn't know when she's going to get her power back. She says it could be a week or more. And I saw out on the western part of the state earlier this week that the farm were basically lakes the rain they got out there I don't know how many inches it was but there was every farm field was flooded which really is Laura raising the idea of the climate change you know we we don't usually have derechos that do this kind of damage this is a a new thing the the downpours that deliver three and four and five inches of rain in a storm I mean we we all have been around a while that's not normal it's a once in a decade once in a century storm and we're seeing them all the time so what what are they looking for the legislature to do to deal with climate change they just want them to start to put together policies yeah somehow they're not very specific in what they are basically they want the puco to investigate aep ohio because they had widespread power outages in columbus this week during the heat wave aep actually ended up cutting power to protect their electric system intentionally to about 250,000 homes that's a lot of homes so that's a lot of people that during 97 degrees were dealing with no air conditioning or fans or refrigerators so the office of the consumer council wants them to investigate and the puco says they routinely investigate major power outages i did not know this i don't know what they find when they investigate it but yeah they want the legislature to do something now can i see the republicans in the legislature taking action to force the power companies to do something good for consumers i i'm not optimistic about that but i think we're all going to like this quote from trish demeter she's the interim executive director of the ohio environmental council she said power outages and rolling blackouts are a case of electric utilities putting profit above the service provided to residents for years utilities have used their profits to lobby elected officials at the state house to allow them to take more of our money and provide less effective services which i mean i know i'm preaching to the choir with this podcast but right on man trish that's great well, it's it's that they haven't invested in the right. infrastructure. Here's another question. If you have an electric car and the power's out, you're not going anywhere. Right? I mean, I guess you, if you charged it beforehand, but if it needs a charge, no. Yeah, that's that's one of the I dangers mean, of electric cars. And if you have your, um, your garage with the electric garage door openers, and if you have a separate garage that doesn't have its own door, like unless, unless you've unlocked it to swing it up and down yourself, you can't get your car out. Although you're supposed to have an extra door because it's a fire. Okay, tell that to the people don't. who did it to my garage because I do not have one. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland has not exactly ex- escaped the power issues, as Laura said. What's going on at Cleveland Public Power this week, Well, on Layla? Thursday, CPP received more than 1,000 complaints of brownouts and low voltage as the temperatures were you know, soaring and folks were seeking relief and cranking their ACs during those peak hours. And the problem seemed worst in the old Brooklyn neighborhood, apparently. And I think, I mean, the temperatures are supposed to be a lot milder today. So hopefully that's been resolved. Um, CPP was encouraging people yesterday to report 
their issues by calling this hotline or filling out an online form. And they were telling people to use Cleveland's cooling centers at the rec centers and, and instead of staying at home in the heat. But, you know, I was a little irritated yesterday. And I'm going to use this podcast uh, to voice it because I can. Okay. <laughs> we, here we go. You know, I, we first caught wind of, of these brownouts when CPP tweeted about them in, in basically a sentence with no details about, you know, when, when there were, there were no details at all about when full power would be restored for folks who were affected or anything like that. And, and when you go to CPP's website, you got absolutely no information about it. So they were using Twitter as their only means of communicating with their customers, and really poorly. And who follows CPP on Twitter? Nobody but reporters, right? (laughs) So when CPP customers are having problems and they want to know what's going on, they turn it first to the CPP website. That's naturally what people do, and there are no answers there. So then they start probably calling for service. So I suggest to Mayor Justin Bibb, respectively, that if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't want crap like this to be the next broken system he has to apologize for, he should quickly look for a way to fix CPP's communication to residents, you know, when they're when they're faced with diminished power service during a dangerous heat wave. Because I mean, CPP, of course, for years was violating the law and gave customers no way to challenge utility disconnections. They just fixed that problem after we hammered them for it. But appears communication is still a very weak point all the way around. And we saw that yesterday. And that's awful. So how, you know, I'm just so mad about it. There is, (laughs) but there is a model. You know, we blast First Energy and Right We Sow regularly. But First Energy does have a pretty decent system online of showing you where the power is out and roughly when you can expect it to turn on. Now, it's often depressing because it's 24 hours or something. Right. But but at least if you get there using your phone, you get an idea of how widespread it is. And it's not perfect by any means. And there are times where it's not entirely accurate. But but it is largely right. a pretty you successful effort. You can see how many people so, are affected, when, what is the status, whether they've anyone's been deployed to deal with it, what's the, the projected time when power will be restored. I mean, at least they've got that on their coverage map. They have nothing like it on CPP. Instead, they have some kind of insulting statement on their on their main page that's that's talking about how important service and transparency. And I mean, I was just blown away by that. I looked and looked and looked for some kind of just how about just a notice that says, you know, customers, we understand that there are brownouts. Please sit tight. We're working on the issue. Just something I mean, you're, you guess what? Those people are going to be calling the mayor's action line and you're going to have a thousand calls. <laughs> so I, I just, you know. Well, we, we did talk to, to Justin Bibb during the campaign and he did say at that point, yes, he needs to take a deep look at Cleveland Public Power. I mean, we've, we've known for many years that Cleveland Public Power has not been taken care of that the investment has been made and any employee that made mistakes was shoved over there instead of firing them. But he's been in office for almost six months now. I wonder if he's getting closer to having the long-term plan for fixing this thing. 
uh, before you decide whether or not it has a future. You raise a great point. They should be communicating with their customers as, as a basic, but there's a lot of problems this this utility has, and oh, the city I agree. needs to really the big do the big the picture dive. utility problems. That's that's you know that's whatever's going on behind the scenes at City Hall. I'm sure Justin Bibb is thinking thinking about those, but I'm talking about right now communication it, during a heat wave. People yep. panic. And when they see their lights yep. are flickering, they really start to worry. So put a statement out on CPP's website comforting them. That's it. That takes no brain power at all. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The building trades in Cleveland have not been all that successful in bringing in a diversified workforce. But now the trades are having some trouble finding people to do the work. What's the plan to help more Cleveland youths become the skilled workers in the building trades, Lisa? It's called Building Great Futures. It's a collaborative project with the Habitat for Humanity, the Northeast Ohio Boys and Girls Club, and Youth Opportunities Unlimited. It was established back in 2016. It's a 10-week program. 15 students will work together to renovate four homes. They will be paid for their work, and that's come that pay comes from city funding dispersed through Youth Opportunities Unlimited. So this will end on August 12th. They're focusing on the Buckeye Shaker area and the homes that these kids will be working on were obtained through a partnership of Habitat and the Cuyahoga Land Bank. Um, this is like really cool. We, uh, you know, we talked to 17 year old Robert Johnson, who is a program participant. He says he likes to work with his hands. And he said that building great futures is a great opportunity for kids my age. And that just makes me feel good that a teenager says that. Um, this program gives him OSHA certification that he can use on a resume. He also got a grant for the associated builders and contractors to get his trade license through them. So yeah, this is just a great story. And I hope that kids really get involved. I mean, this is a way for them to get a good job that's in demand well as lauren layla can attest the people who work in the building <laughs> trades are getting a lot of money and it, it, this has been a traditional problem they the, the cleveland cleveland youth have not been welcomed exactly into the building trades so this is a long time coming it also comes as cleveland is about to spend tens of millions of dollars eradicating lead paint from homes and you would think that you could use some of that money to to work with these these guys to do renovations to homes at the same time you're stripping out the lead paint. I was just going to say, I I didn't know Alexis was working on this story, Alexis Oatman, who wrote it. And I was thrilled to see it because my column this week about my home renovation is like the inevitable delay of home renovation and like the weeks we've been sitting. And I did a little bit of research and found out that half, more than half, of people in skilled trades are nearing retirement age. So this crunch that we're seeing with the pandemic existed before the pandemic and is going to get only worse. And so I was saying, thinking like, we should be pushing a whole lot more kids into the trade. So I'm so glad to see this program. I'm so glad we wrote about it. And I really hope we can amp it up because they, I think it was maybe a couple of dozen kids that have they've helped over the past couple of years. And and it'd be great yeah, to see it expanded they, yeah, um, to get more kids involved. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've helped 15 adults and 23 kids since 2016. Yeah, we need more. The city, there, there's clearly a demand for people in this line of work. Anybody that's tried to hire a contractor lately. If you can make great what, money and own your own business, flexible mm-hmm. scheduling, like it sounds, work with your hands so you're not stuck in front of a computer, like it sounds really great. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. I was waiting to see if Layla was going to ring in with her thoughts on contracting. <laughs> but she doing. We've. We've wondered whether the Ohio State House stance on LGBTQ issues harms the state's ability to attract new employers. We've wondered where we stand. Now we have an objective rating on where the state does stand. Laura, what's the score? Uh, Not great. 53 out of possible 100. And this, shockingly, is four points better than last year. So... I mean, with all the legislation coming out of the state house, it's hard to believe. But states were scored according to legal and non-discrimination protections, youth and family support, political and religious attitudes, health access and safety, and work environment and employment. So this isn't just a quick internet survey. This is out leadership state LGBTQ plus business climate index. And it's specifically geared toward helping business leaders decide where to set up operations. So like, it is not good to be on the bottom of this list. We want new businesses. Brenda Kane did a great job with the story. She talked to the folks from the Plexus LGBT and Allied Chamber of Commerce about how we can improve things. And they're actually, they've got a startup incubator space specifically for LGBTQ um, businesses in Cleveland, which is really cool. Yeah, it, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's sad that our, our numbers are so low. I don't think it surprises you though, right? No. I'm definitely not surprised when you look at the state house, but you think it's got to make a difference. I think we've talked about this before for companies that say whether they want to be here or not. And I should say that Brenda put together a whole list of LGBTQ businesses. We have a black owned business list that we put out for um, Black History Month. Now we have an LGBTQ business guide. So if you are looking to shop or frequent a business specifically, you can look on our site, find the list. You can add to it at any time just if you send Brenda an email, which I think is very cool. There's this um, new barber barber cult salon. It's the first uh, gay-owned, female-owned barbershop in Northeast Ohio. Uh, so that's one of the businesses on the list. Okay, it's today in Ohio. All right, guys, it's the weekend. Anybody have big plans for this weekend? I mean, I'm going to Michigan. I'm going to be off for the beginning of the week next week. So, And that'll entail some swimming. That's why you already have your baby. Yeah, I'm just never going to take it off. I'm just going to live it. But we're going to South Haven with my husband's uh, family. So it should be fun. That sounds great. Layla, you uh, you getting firmly settled into yeah, the our renovation is house? Well, it's like mostly <laughs> mostly done. So we are we're moving stuff into our yeah into our kitchen and. Uh, trying to settle back in we're getting stuff out of storage and i'll finally have my sofa back (laughs) i can't wait to can't wait to have a place to sit (laughs) (laughs) lisa my tomato plants have suddenly exploded you're going to be doing some gardening oh yeah it's going to be perfect weather mid 60s low humidity it's you couldn't ask for a more perfect weekend i'll just see where the weekend takes okay don't you sometimes wish you could just like even out the temperatures like i'll take a few degrees from from that 97 degree day and (laughs) add it to the 60s i you know i like the 97 degree day i you know i think back to the winter when i'm shivering like crazy and you feel that heat pounding into you it's 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 all good 
Okay, that'll do it for another week of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We won't be here Monday. We'll be back Tuesday. <laughs>